Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Vilas. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. As we mentioned in last week's episode, the past couple of months have been super heavy for all of us. Our prayer is that this summer series will be a breath of fresh air in the midst of what's been really difficult. Today, we're talking with Danielle Anderson about anchoring in God's words, specifically in the midst of our grief. Danielle is a speaker and teacher of women's Bible studies, and since the loss of her son in 2013, she has been on a journey of grief and restoration. We talked about that part of her story a lot today, so if that's a particularly tender area for you right now, we want to give you the heads up so that you can come back and listen when you're ready. So you'll know her a little bit better. Danielle has served with the Gospel Coalition Women's Training Network and contributed to the books, His Testimonies, My Heritage, Women of Color on the Word of God, and Joy in the Sorrow. She's married to Dadashi, a Christian hip-hop artist, and they live in Atlanta with three energetic sons. All right, let's get on to my conversation with Danielle Anderson. Danielle, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. When I read that you'd been in Denton, that I was there last summer living and going, in fact, to the same church that you guys used to be a part of, I was like, man, I just wish I would have gotten a little bit of time. People always say, you know, hey, when you go to TV Denton, like you might accidentally bump into Tadashi. He seems really fantastic. But Danielle, you're the person I would have wanted to get time with. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So what are you guys up to these days? Of course, we're recording this in the middle of a global pandemic, so it might be a little irregular right now. Yes, 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 yes. So we live in Atlanta now, and uh, we moved here five years ago, actually, for Tadashi's music. The label is based here, the label that he does music for, Reach Records. So my days are filled with, yes, homeschooling and also fitness instruction. I teach fitness classes at our local Y. So that's yoga, Pilates, spin, and sometimes some boot camp type circuit classes. And then beyond that, I am also a up and coming and growing speaker and author. So I try to contribute some time growing in those aspects in the hope that I would have more opportunities to serve through writing and speaking. Girl, I cannot wait to hear more from you on this topic. Actually, I told you when we were chatting back and forth about you coming on the show that I used to do personal training before I started this gig. So I'm like geekishly wanting to talk shop with you in that regard, but also in regard to mothering and 
how on earth you manage homeschooling and also fitness instructing and writing and speaking. By the grace of the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's really great. You know, with COVID-19, it has been really challenging to like care for my body. Speaking of health and fitness, how have you cared for yourself emotionally and physically and spiritually during this time when we're all staying at home and it's really hard to find a spare minute to ourselves? Whole health is a passion of mine that the Lord started teaching me more about actually when we entered into grief, which we'll talk more about later. Mm -hmm. But physically, I move my body a lot. I try to get outside and go for walks. I work out, I stretch. And those sometimes will hit two birds with one stone because being outdoors actually stirs my affection for the Lord. So sometimes walking outside is a way I care for myself both physically and spiritually. Mm Mm-hmm. But also rest is another big one to care for myself physically. I've been learning a lot more just about the Jewishness of Jesus, but also just some of the ancient historical context of the scriptures. And from Genesis 1, from the jump, God sets out this idea of Sabbath, of rest for us. And so Mm -hmm. we try to really intentionally incorporate that into our life where we're physically resting. But not only that, I learned from a podcast, this teacher said that for his family, Sabbath means We rest, we play, no work, and God loves us. So it's not just a cessation from activity, but it's also this time to delight in these truths that you are loved by God. So we really try to implement a Sabbath-type rest regularly, ideally weekly, in our life. Spiritually, I intentionally try to get in my word in the morning. There's just something about starting off the day with God's truth, whether it's through reading his scriptures or a devo or even just reciting a memory verse. Something to orient my mind and spirit mm-hmm. in the morning around the Lord has been really, really helpful. So those are just a few ways that I'm caring for myself holistically during this global pandemic. Did rest become really important to you guys like over time? Or is that something that you guys have always prioritized as a family? I think it's become more important over time. So as a college student, I majored in electrical engineering at Rice University. What? Wow. So... I had a lot of sleepless nights staying up to do problem sets and coding different things. And so I remember when I graduated, I kind of vowed to myself, you're going to get sleep. Like, yeah. you're going to do this sleep thing. And You see the need for it. Yes. And I worked in corporate America for six years before I had my first son. And even then it was important. So I think there was always, it was a priority for me. We call sleep a vitamin in our house. Mm. You know, it's time to go get your sleep vitamin. It's just a value. And then I think over time, especially reading more of the scriptures and seeing how the Lord models rest for us, how it's woven into the mm-hmm. narrative scripture, I think it, in this season, it's been that much more important. I mean, your husband, too, has become more and more like a, of a public kind of Christian figure. So I imagine like his platform has continued to grow. Did you guys feel the need to like just pause and rest? Because when you have more and more like coming at you, more and more opportunities to do different things as a family, even that that had to be really overwhelming to try and figure out what does it look like for us to actually protect that time to rest? Absolutely. Yes, we had to sit down and, and really talk through, okay, what does rest look like for you as an individual? Mm-hmm. Each of us really almost as individuals, e- even the boys as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we implement something called solo time during the day where each person is alone, where they get to either rest or just enjoy something that they like without fear of their brother bothering them or taking their Beyblade, you know, but for myself and Tadashi, as his career has grown, yes, we've had to talk about what are some protective things that we're going to put in to make sure that we're taking care of one another, our family unit. 
And so we have different windows of time where at the beginning of the year, we'll just mark off, we'll block off time on his schedule. And people who do his booking will know, you know, these are blackout dates. These dates are not available for, for shows. We'll try to look through also his schedule to see if you have tours coming up. When are you, when do you need to be in the studio recording? Mm-hmm. To plan times before and after and even during to make sure he's getting rest one. Cause you know, during touring and recording season, there's just a lot of late nights working and not a lot of great sleep. So we got to make sure to pad his schedule with things that are restful. Yeah, that's so good. I totally resonate with that as a former military spouse, like husband would go and then come back. And, you know, all these things that we're talking about, it's hard to prioritize time in the word and rest, particularly when they're gone. So what does it look like for you to get into the word right now in this season of your life? And then I'd also love for you to talk about what that's looked like in seasons where Tadashi is gone and you're having to figure out how to incorporate that in your daily rhythm in the mornings when you don't have additional support? Yeah, right now it has looked like a lot of time with the Lord in his word in the morning. So I try to intentionally wake up and right now I'm reading through a Paul Tripp devotional called New Morning Mercies, which is fantastic. I've been reading through that as well as um, reading through one gospel a month. And that's just a personal goal I set at the beginning of the year. But right now I'm in my second round of reading through the gospels. And so this time I'm reading, I'm in Matthew. I'm reading a little bit slower and trying to look up every cross-reference. I got to travel to Israel earlier this year. And so there's just been this passion to learn more about the context of Christ, his Jewishness, ancient Israel, just the culture of first century discipleship. So I'm trying to look up the cross-references because there's an intentional Jewish hermeneutic when the writers reference Old Testament passages. Hmm. And I'm trying to go back and look at those passages to better understand what's being said in context in the gospel. Wow, that has to be so rich. It's so amazing. I think in the past, I have been such an inductive Bible study girl. And I actually was looking through your Instagram feed for the podcast. And one message said something about, you know, as we create all of our to-do lists, don't forget about God in the process. Yeah. And I can definitely be guilty of one who is doing all the things and has all the colored pencils and the highlighters and the notebook and the journal. Yes. And I'm doing all the steps, but I'm, I've forgotten about that I'm doing this to know my God more and to experience him more intimately. And so almost as a personal discipline for myself, mm-hmm. I have intentionally decided to put my colored pencils away in my strategic step one, step two, step three study process. And, and read the gospel and do this cross-reference lookup. And then you kind of sit in the scriptures, pray them. And I'm practically trying to memorize them now. So another goal for the year is to try to hide passages of scripture in my heart. So right now I'm working through Matthew 5, 3 through 30 with the goal to see if I can continue on memorizing more of the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, you'll have to keep me posted. I absolutely love scripture memory and have been using the Dwell app a lot just to like repetitively listen to different passages so that I can begin to recite them with the hope of memorizing them because there is such a difference when scripture just works its way from your head into your heart and then how that fleshes itself out like in your hands in practical service uh, to other people. So I love that. What does it look like for you to grow in your knowledge of who God is and to live that out in your everyday life? So much of it right now has been trying to learn more the person and work of Christ through that ancient culture. So there's been a lot of study around that, reading books, 
listening to podcasts or sermons that hit that. Because when I see Christ more in his actual context, I feel like stuff starts to stand off the pages that I never saw before. It really does help me to know and experience him and his power more intimately. I think there's also an element of that that I do not alone. I do this with my kids, with my husband, with friends. Right now it's more so virtual and, you know, over text and stuff. But that communal learning, that communal accountability really does help me grow in who God is because I obviously as one person don't know all there is to know about God. So I benefit from hearing from my brothers and sisters in Christ and they say, oh, I see this aspect of God. I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you for bringing that up. And so doing that with other people has been huge to help me grow in my knowledge of God. And then I think living it out, I have three young boys here at the house with me and they're just constant little accountability partners. They will check you and they will call you out. And so having them around is a constant check on, am I practicing grace and forgiveness like I've been teaching them? Yeah. Am I being kind with my words? Am I treating them with respect as humans made in God's image? Or am I talking to them or even looking at them in a way that just communicates disrespect? If I want them to learn prayer and generosity and compassion, consideration, empathy, I want to model that well for them. And when I don't, they're right there to call me out and to correct me. And there are some moments where I'm like, oh, this is annoying. But there are other moments where I really am able to stop and go, that was a gift of grace from the Lord that you mm-hmm. would have let my kids see how I'm falling short. And now I have this whole opportunity, you know, to teach them how mommy needs Jesus. There's all the things we've heard about, but it really is true at the ground level. When they call you out, it really is a chance for me to freshly experience God's grace and remind them of how much I am in need of his grace every moment of every day. As you prepare for the summer, we want to share a unique way to introduce your non-believing friends to a local church, Skylark. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, you need to know about Skylark Summer Camp for your kids or as a means to supplement evangelism. Skylark partners with gospel-centric churches to provide summer camps as a means of childcare. By meeting parents' needs for summer childcare for kids having completed kindergarten through fifth grade, Skylark positions the local church to meet the spiritual needs of their community. They offer gospel-rich curriculum that is new each day of their summer camp. Kids can attend for one week, a few weeks, or all 11 weeks. Choose from one of their four locations offering a full summer program in Dallas, Plano, Allen, and Mansfield. The cost is $325 a week, but you can use the code JOURNEYWOMEN for 50% off every single week. What? Head on over to CampSkylark.com to learn more. That's C-A-M-P-S-K-Y-L-A-R-K dot com and use the code JOURNEYWOMEN for 50% off. How do you not slip into feelings of condemnation or guilt when you're experiencing that so potently? So many of us with kids now being home all the time. There's really no escaping our sin. And I feel like I've seen more of my sin in the past couple of months than maybe ever before. So what does it look like for you, not just to testify to your need of grace to your kids, but also to relish in it yourself? You mentioned shame. And I've been doing a lot of work in the shame area this year as well. And so in short, I think that as I've learned about shame, the difference between shame and guilt, guilt says I did something wrong. And shame says there's something wrong with me. Uh And so as I'm reading through the scriptures 
and looking at almost shame playing a part in so many stories from Jump, from Adam and Eve in the garden. Mm-hmm. I think because I'm more aware of shame and how shame really is a tool that the enemy can use to steal us away from that life and abundance that Christ has come to give us. I am way more present and willing to stop in the moment to catch the shame before it takes root and becomes toxicity in my mind and my and my heart. That's been really helpful. Another thing that's been actually really helpful is Paul Tripp's devotional. He reminds you of how forgetful you are. He reminds you that we are people prone to forget our need of God's grace, our need of God's forgiveness. And so that's been a daily prayer in the morning for me is like, Lord, help me to remember Help me not to forget. And so I think because those things are a little bit more fresh on my mind in this season, the Lord has used that almost as a protection against shame and guilt sinking in and taking me down away from His truth. Okay, at this point, if you're like me, you feel like you could just sit and talk with Danielle about her life and what it looks like for her to walk with Jesus for hours on end. As you'll hear, like many of us, her journey has not always been easy. About seven years ago, Danielle and her husband, Tadashi, tragically lost their precious one-year-old little boy, Chase. While Tadashi was on tour, Chase was really sick, and Danielle was back home working really hard to nurse him back to health. When she tried to wake Chase from his nap to give him fluids, he didn't open up his eyes like she would have expected him to. Quickly, they rushed to the hospital where they tried to resuscitate Chase, but tragically, they were unsuccessful. For the remainder of our time with Danielle, we'll be discussing how she rooted herself in God's goodness, clinging to the gospel in a way that she had never done before in the wake of such incredible tragedy. It's my sincere prayer that Danielle's story will serve as a reminder for us as we navigate future hardships and as an example to us to anchor ourselves in the truth about who God is. You and Tadashi experienced one of the most tragic things that I can think of as a parent when you lost your son. How did you remember the truth about who God is and maintain your faith when you went through something as just earth shattering and as shaking as losing a child? Yes, it is the it is the ministry that no parent wants. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you become the person that gets the phone calls and the texts now. And so you do have this opportunity to comfort those mm-hmm. in the same way that you have been comforted, but it is no one wants this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maintaining a faith in a holy God, honestly, it, it really felt like my only option at the time. I remember logically reasoning that I knew that God was good and I knew that God was sovereign. He was in control. And I really believe that those things were true. And I really believe that he was the best place for me to be in the midst of my pain and my anger and my hurt. But I felt like I had nowhere else to go. The picture I tell people to describe it is it felt like I was a little child, like a little girl banging on my dad's chest in frustration and anger while he held her tight, knowing Mm. that you you are the best place for me. I don't have anywhere else to go, but I'm really mad at you right now. (laughs) Like I'm really, I'm really hurt and I'm really frustrated that you would write my story this way, that you would allow, allow this in my story. And that mm-hmm. was a whole other really difficult thing to come to, I don't know, grips with is that, Lord, you didn't cause it, but you allowed it. And that is tough. 
And then you just learn to exist in this weird tension of, I don't understand it. I do know that you're good. I do know that you're in control. I also know that you allowed my son to pass away. And there's just this weird tension that, that now exists in life. Mm, I watched your story. You have, um, there's a video that's available on the Village Church's website. I would encourage everyone to watch it if they have the opportunity with tears just running down my face. And I just thought to myself, how would I refresh myself with the truth of the gospel in a moment that feels as dark as that? How did you do that? Were you even able to think? Not really. No. And it actually was the help of friends that guided my thinking towards towards true and right thinking. Oh, I can't imagine doing that as a friend. Like <laughs> you're there and you're like, how could I possibly come alongside a friend who's experiencing tragedy that great? No, it's it's definitely it's definitely hard. One thing I, I tell I teach in a workshop where we talk about walking alongside others in grief is there are no perfect words. So for those who are walking alongside what I call the suffering other, free yourself from the weight that there are perfect words to say. They don't exist. But a skill you can grow in is to learn to ask good questions, to speak the truth, to not feel the need to all the time correct instantaneously. The suffering other, the person that's in pain might say something that seems blasphemous. And sometimes you can let them sit and say that without feeling the need mm-hmm. to, to correct them. Um, but for my personal walk, actually, the early days and weeks, it really is this blur of life and you're just in shock and you, it just seems so unreal. And as things began to settle and, you know, after we had the celebration service for Chase and a lot of friends and family who had traveled to town and they had left and the house becomes a little more empty. I remember then having a lot more time with my thoughts. And there were two things that were really helpful at the time. A month before tragedy struck our family, I had just finished reading Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. Wow. And one of the statements that stuck out to me when reading it was she said, there are no what ifs in the will of God. And I tried to hold on to that. My mind wanted to play these what if games. Well, what if, what if I would have gone to the room earlier? What if I would have called this person or given him this or done these things? And her statement kind of became a helpful bomb. Like there are no what ifs in the will of God. This was how God chose to write your story. This is how the Lord chose to number Chase's days. And as painful, as hard as it was to remind myself of it, it was true. And another thing that a friend said, I don't remember where I was reasoning, but I remember in my mind somehow thinking the enemy will surely take it easy on a grieving mom. Surely I will, you know, get a rest from his attacks and his schemes. And it was a close friend at the time that said, oh, no, dear sister, you're all the more easy prey. And I needed to hear that, I think, because it made me want to be intentional with my mind, with my body, with my spirit to make sure that, you know, by God's power, I was taking in messages that were true and I was saturating myself in his truth rather than my own illogical thinking. And so I got into this habit early on. I used to call it, I think I call it like brain vomiting or something. (laughs) I would have trusted friends Hmm. or family and just kind of vomit out all of these emotions and thoughts. And I needed them to kind of say, which ones are true, which ones I dismiss. And they were really helpful to do that because I had a lot of things in my mind that seemed really reasonable and logical to me, 
that were not true. And they were able to tell me, no, 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 that's not how God's voice sounds. That's not his truth. The truth is, and then they would pray scripture over me or they would text me scripture all the time. Uh, one of my closest girlfriends, I still remember, gave me Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted mm-hmm. and the crushed in spirit early on. God is the God of all comfort. We might be perplexed, but we're never driven to despair. So all this stuff, people rallying around me in an intentional effort to try to saturate myself in God's truth, what I later came to call anchoring in the word became key. Of course, that's going to impact you. I mean, every day, I'm sure you think about Chase. Every day you're grieving Chase and the loss of him on this side of heaven. When I watch your story, I'm like, oh my gosh, how could I resent my kids in the midst of this situation with COVID-19, which I have done many times in the last couple of months? And you're still your homeschooling mom. I mean, there's got to be struggle and a strain. You're with your little people by God's grace every day. I imagine part of that is motivated by knowing like the brevity of life with our children. But then do you ever struggle with guilt when you feel frustration? Because we all do like we're human knowing like the same thing that that life is precious. It's but a breath. Like how do you reconcile those two realities? Sure. That's such a great question as well. Even though I wear this letter of grieving mom, It doesn't make me immune to sin. It's not a shield to protect me against frustrations towards my kids who I get to be with now. And so there's just this very sobering reality that exists between, yes, I can grieve and every day miss my son Chase, while at the same time being frustrated at times with Jaden, Callan, and Kai. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like it's something that I struggle with heavily. I don't feel like I often am struggling with grief because I am struggling in my flesh towards my kids who are with me. And mm-hmm. that just might be the grace of the Lord or just might be me remembering yeah, just our human reality that there's enough empathy to go around for all the people. So I can have empathy and grace on myself when I am frustrated with my, with Jaden or Callan or Kai. And I can also have empathy for myself that I can have that frustration while missing Chase. Mm -hmm. Your boys are so precious. How many kids did you have when you guys lost Chase? So at the time, it was just Jaden and Chase. So Jaden was three and Chase had just turned one. Actually, not even a month into grief, I unplanned, got pregnant with Callan. Wow. Callan, actually, I always tell people, I think he's one of the main reasons that I fought so hard in that season to be healthy emotionally, physically, mentally, emotionally. I remember before getting pregnant with him that I I remember understanding, I totally get why people might turn to alcohol or drugs. I get it. Like I had always been this kind of misguided two-shoes person and was prone to self-righteousness and was prone to look down on the choices of others. But when I was hit with that deep, deep pain, I understood it. And I remember thinking, maybe my drug of choice will be sugar. <laughs> like maybe I will eat myself and, you know, to death as I'm trying to comfort and numb this pain and not feel this. But then when I got pregnant with Callan, again, I had a choice, but it felt like I, I didn't, but I chose, I want to be healthy for this little person growing yeah. up in my body. I know that he is going to be marked by my grief in some way, like he's growing in my body at a time where I'm dealing with a lot of 
stress and pain and emotions. And I had friends and family and even my midwife at the time that just encouraged me. One of the best things you can do for this growing baby is to cry and is to feel what you feel and is to not try to bottle it up so that you can be healthy. You can let the stress move through you so that you can almost do the best you can for him. And so that's what I tried to do. And and I really am so grateful the Lord, you know, let Callan be born and he let me be pregnant mm-hmm. with him in that season. I didn't want him at the time. I remember being mad. Mm-hmm. Why did you let me get pregnant? Lord, I had a baby. I want to chase. What is, what is this? I don't understand what you're doing, but you're doing it. So how can I go with you in it? And Callan has been such a huge joy. I have a hashtag I used to use where I, I call Callan joy in the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, because that's what he became. I know a lot of moms have questions about how we can come alongside our children in their grief. I imagine this whole experience, I mean, you're literally like experiencing that as he was even in utero. And what does it look like for you now as a mom who's experienced so much sadness to come alongside your kids as they are grieving the various challenges that they interface with in life? I teach them how to feel. So this year I read a book by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly. And in it, she talks about wholehearted living. And she has this thing called the wholehearted parenting manifesto. And one of my favorite lines in that manifesto is when you're sad or when you're hurt, I'm going to want to take away your pain, but instead I'll teach you how to feel it. And that is what I want to do for my kids. I mean, even now, as both my husband and I, we went to counseling early on and we're still in counseling, individual counseling, marriage counseling. Counseling is fantastic. If you have a chance to go to counseling, go. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) But even as we as we talk about things that Tadashi's trying to grow in, when he's trying to put words to his emotion and give himself the permission to feel it, we see how much of a benefit it would have been to to him and to myself if early on as children, we would have learned to feel, to feel our emotions, to not be afraid of them and to kind of go with the Lord in it, that that the Lord is not afraid of our emotions, of our questions. He's not mad at us for all the emotions. So that's one of the really big things I try to do with my boys right now is teach them how to feel. I try to validate their emotions. Callan, you're sad. It is okay to be sad. Now, what can we do in our sadness? How can we experience sadness in a healthy way? Jaden, you're angry. It's okay to be angry. But how can we experience that in a healthy way? The healthy way is not to go hit our brother. You know, it's not to scream and yell at people. We have to learn how to deal with our emotions in a way that is healthy and constructive, not destructive. Something else I do with my children is I don't shy away from hard questions and I encourage them to, to talk. And that is hard and very painful at times because they might want to talk and ask a hard question in the worst of places. We might be at Costco in the aisle and one of them might bring up, if Chase was here, what do you think? You know, and, and then now I'm about to break down in the aisle of Costco, but I want to, to meet them where they are. And, Mm -hmm. and they know we've made it very much a culture of our home that we talk about Chase, that Alan and Kai, who never knew him, but they know they have an older brother who is safe with Jesus. And so they know his picture. They know his name. We've woven in things in our, in the rhythms of our family where we're celebrating Chase. We're remembering his birthday. We're remembering and mourning on his glory day, which we call his glory day the day he passed. And so I want to invite my kids into all those spaces 
so that they never feel alone in their own emotions. And they always feel like they have a safe place to dialogue and process things with mom and dad, mm-hmm. especially for Jaden, because Jaden was the one who was there that morning and has his own trauma and story around losing a little brother. So I want to be gracious and patient with Jaden to let him process and understand and ask questions as he remembers. And sometimes he'll just remember his brother. I remember that Chase loved that song. I remember when he used to clap and dance and I want to go with him in that, even if it leads me to tears. I want him to see me go with him. I Mm -hmm. want him to see me cry. And I want him to see me as much as I can model cling to the Lord in the midst of these dark, dark nights of the soul. Yeah. As we're talking, we're just a couple of weeks out of a really sad story of another mom losing her son, Ahmad Aubrey. And, you know, I think a lot of people's hard questions like you're talking about in dialoguing with kids that we might be tempted to shy away from have to do with some of the injustices that are still exist in this world and that are just rampant throughout the world. And I'm curious, how would you encourage us to go about the hard work of having hard conversations specifically about racial injustice? Yeah, I would encourage people to anchor again in God's scripture and in God's heart and that we would acknowledge Yes, sin and oppression and injustice still exist. And there are systems in place in our own nation that can fuel those things sometimes. And so I think if we're able to acknowledge God's heart grieves this too. This is sin. This is ugly. This is evil. What do we do with that? Well, we can talk about it honestly. We can beg for help from the Lord. We can beg for help from the Lord to enter into conversations with grace and understanding, especially when we don't fully get it. I know there are a lot of people who may not understand the the level of depth that some others, especially black mothers face when you hear news stories like this or black parents or black or parents of black boys. I think there's a lot of nuance there, but I actually wrote in in a post. You don't have to have a black son to be able to offer compassion and empathy and fight to understand uh, and enter into this space to care and to show care for a human being made Mm -hmm. in God's image Mm -hmm. who was treated in a way less than what he was worth. So if we can anchor in all of those things, remind ourselves we can show compassion and we can show empathy because a life was lost. If we can start, sometimes just starting with a life was lost. A person that was made in God's image is gone. That's a great place to start rather than starting in all the nuances of the circumstances and what did he do? What did they do? What was happening? A person made in God's image is gone. If I don't know anything else of the situation, I can start there and I can lament and I can empathize and I can show compassion. But so often we don't start there. And I think that's where We get into these really ugly conversations and our heart of love and care and compassion towards our neighbor seems to go out the window. So if we can anchor, once again, I love the idea of anchoring. If we can anchor in who God is and in who humans are as made in his image, I think we'll do ourselves a great service in moving forward in in these conversations. Danielle and I recorded this conversation on May 22nd. 
Just three days later, on May 25th, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was murdered in Minneapolis, Minnesota during his arrest by a white police officer. This heightened racial tensions in the U.S., leaving us with a question that's a lot like the one I asked Danielle in regard to Ahmaud Arbery. How do we, the church, respond to injustice in a manner that's worthy of the gospel? As soon as I saw the news about George Floyd, Danielle's exhortation to grieve a life lost came to my mind. This is in line with Romans 12:15, which says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So I did. When an image bearer of God is murdered, we lament and mourn. If you look at the nightly news, which is always difficult for me, but especially now, it doesn't take a person long to see that our world is full of suffering and wrongdoing. If our hearts aren't broken by that reality, we need to pray that God would soften them. On this side of Genesis 3, our need for a Savior is evident. And He came. Jesus didn't run away from our injustice and brokenness. He entered into it, lived in it, died for it, overcame it. And the joy that we experience in Him as a result of His finished work on the cross ought to drive us to tell others about the hope that we have in Him and to offer tangible help to express our genuine sacrificial love and care. And as we run or maybe limp or crawl over feeling super weary, we too hope in Christ alone, knowing that God is just and the justifier. He has the final say. His mercy was displayed through his ultimate act of justice when Christ took our sin upon himself and experienced all of our injustice on the cross. He alone is our peace, reconciling us to God and to one another in one body. Christ is our hope. My sincere prayer is that in him, we, the church, will walk humbly toward glory together, unified by the blood of Christ, testifying to the hope and peace that we have in him, seeking God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we long for all things to be made right. Danielle graciously offered to share just a few of her thoughts on what it looks like to flesh this out practically. Here they are. This is a complex question with a complex answer. But one basic first step I want to encourage the church toward is telling the truth. Yes, of course, the truth of Scripture, but also the truth of the history of our nation. It may be hard to embrace but the injustice that we see today is fruit of seeds that were planted long ago. I have watched too many people dismiss history, but we have a legacy in this country of not valuing all lives, especially the lives of people of color. If we embrace that the past life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ has present implications, then we should be willing to embrace that our nation's past has present implications as well. And as our eyes are open to that truth, Let us be willing to learn, lament, confess, repent, and listen as we move forward in the power, strength, and hope of Christ. Man, I really appreciate your wisdom and your willingness to go there with me, both in sharing the loss of your own son and then just exhortations to come alongside other people in their very real grief, whatever it is. What encouragement do you have? Like maybe one practical step that the listeners could take after hearing what we've talked about today. I would encourage people to be present and honest about where they are 
and then seek the Lord in those spaces. Mm. But one of my favorite quotes, and it's very simple. I think it's from Augustine or Constantine. I always say one of the means is know yourself so that you might know your God. Mm. And I know we're in this, in a culture and a season where self-awareness and self-care can be kind of these buzzwords and thrown out a lot. But I really do think there's a lot of powerful truth in the idea of knowing yourself so that you might know your God. If and when I know I'm sick and I'm broken, then I can more so experience and know my God as doctor, as healer, Mm -hmm. as comforter. When I know that I am in need and I am in a place of scarcity, I know that I can go to God because he is a place of abundance. He is a place of more than enough. And I really do think in the back and forth of that reality of knowing yourself so that you might know your God, we really can grow leaps and bounds. Mm, That is such rich encouragement. Thank you. So much. Definitely one of my simple joys of today is going to be getting the chance to talk to you. And one of the questions that we ask every guest who comes on the show just as an attempt to get to know you a little bit better. And I have some suspicions about what yours might be. But what are three of your simple joys? Simple joys. I love Albanese gummy bears. Oh, girl, that was like my pregnancy craving. (laughs) And then I would turn around and eat pickles. Sick. (laughs) They are my favorite. I sometimes will, you know, make a special trip to Sprouts or Target just to get a bag. It has to be a special trip because you can't keep them in the house. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Or another simple joy, laughter. So I mentioned we have sleep vitamin. We also in our house call laughter a vitamin. And so I am really big on every day fighting to get my laughter vitamin. And so that might be something as silly and goofy as some of the skits on The Tonight Show. I love Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Sometimes it might be an episode of a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Parks and Rec. I just love goofy humor and I love to laugh. Oh, that's awesome. And a third simple joy, movies. I yes. really enjoy a good movie. Do you have a good movie recommendation? We could definitely use that for the weekend. We recently watched Onward with the boys. Oh, I heard that's really good. I haven't watched it yet. It was good. We we tried to watch it actually on a more emotionally charged day. And we and I was like, nope, I'm not ready for this right yeah, now. Given our much. story because it's given the content. But it really is a good, it's a good brother story. It, it was a fun, Aww. lighthearted, just an enjoyable movie. That's good to have a good brother story. I love Frozen for the good sister story. Exactly. And, and you know, all- I've been loving some Disney Plus during this time. <laughs> yes, Disney Plus is definitely a go-to. And so all our friends were, were saying, y'all need to watch it. It's a brother story because, you know, we're a house of all boys. And it, we really, really enjoyed that. Oh, well, it's so neat to get to talk to you. Uh, You and your husband have had such a big impact on so many people. Um, It makes me curious to hear from you. Who is it that has had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus? My grandmother, Mimi, we call her. She passed away two years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. She was our matriarch, and she was that matriarch that modeled loving Jesus. I think sometimes mm-hmm. there can be the stereotypical figure, especially in black homes. It's like mm-hmm. the black grandma with her Bible and her big church hat. Who's you know, But my grandmother, she did not fit that stereotype, but she was a black praying grandmother who pointed her kids and her grandkids to the Lord. And especially now I think about her often as I'm reading and learning more about the context of Christ, ancient Israel, the 
culture of the Old Testament, what God was doing with his people, Israel, I always know that she would be proud of me because she was always saying, Didi, which is what my family calls me, it's so important for us to know the Jewish roots of our faith and all the stuff that was laid out in the Old Testament and Christ as walking around first century Israel as a rabbi. Like She just always talked about the importance of knowing that. And as I'm Hmm. diving deep and as I had a chance to walk on dirt that Christ himself or walk in places that he himself would have walked. Yeah. I just know that she is proud of me. And I know that I'm only doing that partly because of the Lord's grace, but also because she planted some seeds in me a long time ago that are starting to plant and bear fruit. Oh, bless the Lord. And by the way, I am so excited that you actually got to travel out of the country this year. That is a grace. September, but yeah. Okay, okay. I was like, wow, that's amazing. You made it right before. (laughs) Earlier, I guess this school year. Okay, yes, yes. I'm sure as a homeschooling mom, you always think it's school years. (laughs) I do. I do. Sadly, I was actually supposed to travel outside of the country in March, the week after the national emergency called. I was supposed to go to the the country of Colombia with my mom's sister and my aunt. Oh, yes. On a girls' trip, and that got canceled. Man, such a bummer. So many trips canceled and all of that during this time. But I'm so thankful for technology, which allows us to connect. And thank you so much for your time and doing that today. It's been such a gift to get to hear from you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. I really hope the Lord uses this conversation with Danielle to encourage your heart today keep anchoring yourself in God's word, friend, like she encouraged us to. We hope that Journey Women will be a resource that continually points you back there. If you want to learn more about Danielle or access noteworthy quotes, discussion questions, and resources from today's episode, you can do that over on our website at journeywomenpodcast.com. Also, come hang out with us and discuss the episode throughout the week on socials at Podcast. This conversation is part of our summer series, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes in the coming weeks. Today's episode was edited by Chad Michael Snavely. We are so grateful for him and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.